Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaBusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network show and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with two excellent stock pickers, Roger Wiegand, and uh, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Actually, Roger Wiegand's uh, forte is more on the commodity side in the futures trading, com- currency trading, etc. Uh, you can access uh, all three of those newsletters uh, by going to jtaylormedia.com. That's J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R media.com. And you can also access this radio show there very easily, as well as some of the other things that uh, that I'm involved with. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Merrick's Gold, Visible Gold Mines, Lucky Strike Resources, American Manganese, Rye Patch Gold Corp., and Romeo's Gold Resources. Well, this week our main guest is John Merrick. He was with us briefly last week. Uh, he has a background in accounting, and he is also uh, in the business of teaching military personnel how to fly aircraft. But he also has become extremely interested in the subject of money. What is money? How is it created? Who is creating it and abusing it? And what is the Federal Reserve actually doing as opposed to what mainstream media tell us they are doing? I think what John has to say is very important in understanding the direction of the markets going forward. Uh, and so also in just a few minutes, I will be talking to Bill Howell. He is the president and the CEO of Rypatch Gold Corp. And during the second hour, I will be speaking to Tim Searcy. He is the CEO of Rx Gold Corp. Both of these companies have, in my view, a chance to outline major gold deposits, Rypatch has already a 3.1 million ounce gold resource and over 40 million ounces of silver 
on their Nevada properties. And RX Gold Corp is off to a fast start in its efforts in Namibia, Africa. Both companies have strong management teams, and given this, what I think is the bull market of a lifetime in gold, I believe both of these companies are in a good position to richly reward shareholders, at least those who enter at current price levels. There is precious little time for me and my partners to speak today, but since Greece is so much in the news, I do want to pass along some words from Lena Monasaridis, uh, some of you may remember uh, Lena, was when this, first, when this show first started was a regular guest, and we may have her on again sometime uh, in a, on a more regular basis in the future. But anyway, I, she sent me this email, and I'm going to quote you what she had to say about the situation in Greece. She says, Jay, the situation is worse than what you read in the U.S. news. The Greeks are losing hope. The euro is suffering because of the latest woes. There is even talk among bank officials in Greece that banks will soon run out of euros. This is a hopeless situation. It is spilling out in, into the eurozone, and it's quite obvious from how Germany is handling things. Investors have lost faith in the European currency, and although the U.S. economy also suffers, Everyone is, is reluctant to place their money into the euro uh, as the risk is far greater. And she adds, I would love to catch up with you soon and be on your show again sometime soon. Well, we may have Lena on for a perspective from Europe again. It would be good if we can find the time. There was so much to talk about. Uh, I just, uh, Chen Lin and Roger Wiegand, there just wasn't enough time to have them on today, so I'm just going to pass along a couple of their ideas before we get to our first commercial and our first uh, discussion uh, with uh, Rypatch. Uh, Chen Lin uh, is talking to his subscribers today about Prophecy Plus. Platinum, and he notes that, in fact, um, that uh, that the company has increased its resource very significantly, and there were some questions apparently from some of the regulatory authorities about the rapid move in the stock, and also uh, in terms of um, they were required to restate their 43101 resource numbers, which um, really are are now satisfactorily restated and have not changed uh, from those higher numbers that were reported some time ago. Another stock, which I guess is Chen's top pick, is Mart Resources. And Mart, uh, Chen passes on uh, some good news from Mart Resources. Um, they have had some very successful test results. Chen also notes that gold is on the move with the general market these days. Quite strange, he thinks, but uh, he's suggesting uh, maybe there's a QE3 in the works. Well, we'll see about that. Roger Wiegand, who I talked to brief briefly today, says he thinks uh, that gold is heading towards a 2250 to 2450 level late in 2012. Then he expects we'll see a $500 correction that could bring us down to the 17, mid-1750s areas, close to where we've recently been before. But he does believe that the bottom is in for both gold and silver. Well, I hope he's right about that, but I'm not betting on anything, really. These are markets that are very, very difficult to predict. My emphasis now is on gold, the real price of gold. The Rogers Raw Material Fund is near an all-time high. That is what an ounce of gold will buy is 46% of the Rogers Raw Material Fund Keep in mind that that was uh, that it was only 17% before Lehman Brothers. So the real price of gold is rising. That is translating into much higher earnings for major gold mining companies. In fact, the seven major gold mining companies that I track are up about fourfold. That is, their, the collective earnings of those seven companies uh, are predicted to be by 2012 some 4.4 times higher than the earnings were in. Uh, 2008. This is a bull market for a lifetime as far as I can see. 
the real price of gold is just really causing gold mining companies to generate huge amounts of cash, and that means they're going to have to find places and ways to re to uh, to replace their reserves, which they are producing very very rapidly. And uh, we're going to be talking to Bill Howell of Rye Patch Gold Corp in just a minute. In fact, that's exactly what Mr. Howell and Rye Patch is setting out to do, and they have a good start with some 3.9 gold equivalent ounces in uh, in Nevada. Uh, these are the kinds of companies that the big guys are going to have to have to replace their reserves, and when they start bidding up the prices of these junior mining companies with real gold in the ground, I think you're going to see some huge profits from some of these junior mining companies. So we're going to be right back after the break with Bill Howell. Don't go away. If you want to know about an exciting gold mining company, you're going to want to return after the break. Don't go away. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Rye Patch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chikamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. W.legendgold.com. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down. 
try not to try too hard. It's just a love affair. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times with the Good Times. I am really pleased to have with me once again Bill Howold. He is the president and CEO of Rypatch Gold Corp. Uh, Rypatch is a sponsor to the show. It is also a recommendation in my newsletter, and I own some shares personally. So getting that disclosure out of the way, let me tell you that there are, uh, the stock trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol RPM, and you can buy it in the U.S. under RPMGF. 125 million shares outstanding. 47 cents was the price when I looked at it earlier today, giving it a market cap of around $59 million. Had a high last year of 48 cents, a low of 17 cents. The company does have a gold equivalent, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, gold equivalent resource of 3.9 million ounces. That's comprised of 3.1 million ounces of gold and 40.3 million ounces of silver. Welcome, Bill, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Jay, thanks so much for having me on. Really good to have you here. You have 125 million shares outstanding. I'm wondering if you could uh, give our listeners a, a sense of who owns those shares, management, how much, and institutions, how much. Sure. As, as you mentioned, we have 125 million shares outstanding. Uh, currently, our largest uh, shareholder is uh, Sun Valley Master Fund, which is a, a gold fund out of Sun Valley, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, comprising the rest of kind of the gold funds and institutions, there's about 20-25% held by uh, other companies such as uh, uh, U.S. Global, uh, Century Select, and uh, some others. Yeah. Well, those are some good names. Bill, um, we're speaking of good names. Perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about, real briefly, your background, uh, what you did, and some of the other senior management members. Sure. Uh, both uh, my partner and I co-founded the company back in 2006. Uh, Joe Casio, uh, he had a junior company called Nevada Pacific, which was purchased by Rob McCune back in late uh, 2005. I uh, came out of Placer Dome, uh, which was purchased by Barrick back in late 2005. Both Joe and I had a business relationship between Nevada Pacific and Placer Dome, and that's how we knew each other. And since we were out of a job, we decided to form Rye Patch Gold. All right. You have uh, a good start, uh, 3.9 million gold equivalent ounces. You are aggressively drilling. How much are you drilling right now? Yeah, right now we've got two drill rigs, one at our Lincoln Hill project. Uh, it's drilling about 7,000 meters of, uh, of a program. And then a second rig, which is on our Garden Gate Pass property, which is immediately a south, south of Barrick's uh, two new discoveries, Red Hill and Gold Rush. Okay, talk about that briefly. What do we know about that, and, and do we know anything about the size of it, or we just simply know that they have a new discovery? Well, um, Barry put out a press release on September 7th, uh, which uh, described two new discoveries. The first one is the Red Hills uh, discovery, which uh, contains uh, three and a half million ounces uh, at a little over a 0.1 ounce per ton uh, average grade. Mm, And then just south of that is another discovery called Gold Rush, uh, roughly a kilometer and a half south of. uh, of the Red Hill property, and then uh, roughly two and a half, three kilometers south of that is our Garden Gate Pass property on on the same structural trend. 
Okay, that's important, I think, when you say the same structural trend. In other words, the, the structure that is hosting those gold deposits continue on to your deposit. doesn't mean that gold is going to be found in your deposit, but it's a darn better chance that it will be uh, knowing now what you know that part of that structure does contain gold, right? No, that's, that's correct. Um, these are Carlin-type deposits, and uh, one of the attributes of uh, Carlin deposits are they tend to cluster. And uh, what we've seen uh, over the period, at least in the Cortez district, is uh, since 1991 there's been 35 million ounces of gold discovered, mined, and, and processed. And now here's some new discoveries uh, along the same structural trends. And, uh, again, having our property, Garden Gate Pass, uh, you know, gives it a, gives it a good chance. It's, it's got yeah. a good location. Yeah, and so you're drilling there at Garden State. Uh, what is it, Garden? Garden Gate Pass. And you're drilling there now, you said. That's, that's correct. We started a drill program at the end of August, and we just completed our, our third drill hole. Bill, you are really, you've been real upfront about it. You've stated that you, what you want to do is find major deposits that will be attractive to the major mining companies, the gold mining companies, like a Barrick, like a Newmount, those kinds of companies that are having a heck of a time replacing the enormous number of ounces that they're producing every year. You have a nice start, as I mentioned, 3.9 gold equivalent ounces, but that is divided, I believe, into three different properties. How much gold do you think you need to find on each of those properties to make them, to start getting the attention of some of these majors. Well, um, that's, that's right. I mean, Newmont and Barrick are really chewing through their resources and reserves right now, and, and Nevada is a, is a big component of their overall production. Uh, you know, Newmont produces almost 2 million ounces out of Nevada and, and Barrick a little over 3 million ounces. Our, our goal with our Oriana trend is to get uh, over 5 million ounces uh, combined. And when you say they're in three separate properties, that's, that's true. However, the three properties are along a, a zone that's about uh, eight miles long. And they have different names, but really they're in uh, similar geologic and, and structural trends uh, and kind of are in a district configuration. Okay, well, that's very important to, to note because they're uh, they're very close to each other, so it could be combined into one operation potentially. That's that's correct. I mean, what I kind of envision is uh, one operator and several ore sources, if you will. It's not as if one was at one side of the state and the other was at the other. No, no, not at all. In fact, uh, you know, I think the, the as I mentioned, the the distance between them is about uh, seven or eight miles, and uh, four projects uh, lie in that seven and eight mile trend. Bill, what do you think, and this is a um, forward-looking statement for sure, and I don't want to get anybody into trouble, uh, but you must have some ideas or some goals about how many ounces of gold you think might be possible to find and explore to develop there on those properties, forgetting about the uh, the latest, uh, the one next to Barrick, the one that, where the discovery is the Garden Gate Pass. How many ounces do you think you can you can come up with over the next number of years? Well, again, this is, uh, you know, a, a bit kind of a crystal ball, if, if you yeah. will. But uh, as I said, uh, right now we, we currently have 4 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent. Mm -hmm. We think that uh, between uh, Wilco, Lincoln Hill, and our Gold Ridge properties, we could get somewhere in the order of 6 to 7 million ounces. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we have our, our uh, Garden Gate Pass property, which uh, is next to, uh, to Barrick. Right, and I think when you when you make a statement like that, you are you are basically looking at what you know at this stage about the geology, or what the the exploration work, the structures, how large they are, 
that sort of thing, right? And, and that, that's continuity of, this of mineralization. Just upside potential, but you know, looking at the characteristics of the mineralization, the deposit types, and uh, you know, the location of of the mineralization. And, and just some plain, you know, projections. So sure. again, uh, it's kind of crystal ballish, but uh, I think uh, you know that could be a, a, a pretty good, uh, a pretty good start. It's crystal ballish, but it's not a crystal ball without any sort of intelligence. Uh, you are, you know, you've done a fair amount of drilling so far. You know something about the continuity of these deposits. You know something about. You know, something about the structure uh, and the drill targets that you're going to drill. How much drilling do you expect to do uh, this year then in, into next year, or do you have to wait and see what the results are this year to, to uh, orchestrate your pro- project, your drilling project for next year? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer. I'm going to go back and, and just answer one, one, uh, your first question first, and, and that is, uh, you know, since April of 99, or sorry, since April of 2009 between Barrick, Rye Patch, and Coeur d'Alene Silver Mines, there's been over 10 million ounces of gold announced uh, along the Oriana trend. Ah. So it really is an emerging trend that uh, you know, has some upside potential. Mm-hmm. And currently, uh, our plan for 2011 is we have uh, 20,000 meters of drilling planned along the trend. Uh, so far, we've completed about half of that. Okay. So... Well, we we can just. Uh, when do you expect to have some results out, and when do you expect to have a new resource, some re- new resource calculations? Right, uh, results um, are have been coming out, and will continue to come out through uh, October, November. Uh, the goal that we have is to put out a new resource estimate for the Wilco property uh, in the first quarter of 2012, uh-huh. and a new resource estimate for our Lincoln Hill project by the second quarter of 2012. Okay, we'll certainly be looking for that, that's for sure. Um, let me see, if there's, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we uh, part company this time? Well, um, you know, all of our projects are in Nevada. We certainly have uh, some good people in the way of our exploration geologists. We've got three full-time geologists, and, uh, you know, the management has seen projects all the way from grassroots through to mine development. So as it generally always boils down to is uh, people, projects, and and place, and uh, we feel we have all of those uh, in in good order, and, uh, you know, we're ready to to break out and and, – Come up Bill, with more resources. Uh, Bill, just one question I just thought of that I wanted to ask and forgot. Well, you have a market cap of $59 million, 3.9 million ounces. Uh, that means the market's paying you about $15 per ounce of gold in the ground. What is it costing you to find the gold in the ground, and what do you think the market uh, would be paying, or what are they paying some of your peers uh, for gold in the ground in a place like Nevada where infrastructure issues are minimal? Right. Uh, well, we're currently finding ounces in the ground at uh, just under $2 per ounce. And as a, a benchmark, if you were to go and look at Newmont's finding costs, uh, they're around $15 per ounce around their mines and over $50 per ounce if they're out in the middle of, of nowhere. Uh, right now, again, if you look at the deals that have been done over the last 12 to 18 months, mm-hmm. what you see is there's an average cost per ounce in the ground of about $50 per ounce paid. Mm-hmm. So if we were to apply that metric to Rye Patch, what we'd see is a market cap of closer to $200 million with what we have right now. 
Oh, okay. Very good. Well, that gives some in, investors and listeners some sense of what the upside might be. And again, we want to underscore the word might because in this business, you never know for sure, but you do the best you can. You take the knowledge that's out there, the geological knowledge, uh, and you extrapolate and do the best you can, and then you diversify your portfolios. Well, I've got to go to break because we've, uh, we're running out of time. Bill, thank you so much for being with me again this time. We look forward to talking to you again in the not-too-distant future. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with John Merrick. He's going to talk to us about the Federal Reserve, what they're really doing as opposed to what the pundits are saying they are doing. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Merrick. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He's available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. So I'm pleased to have with me again this week, John Merrick. Because of a shortage of time last week, John was able to be with us only a few minutes. Uh, so I have asked him to come back, and he's agreed, and so we're very fortunate. John Merrick, uh, I'll just read his bio again for those of you who may not have heard our show last week. Uh, John Merrick uh, has a BBA in accounting uh, from Texas A&M and an MBA specializing in banking. He was an accountant and financial analyst at Enron and then joined the U.S. Navy to pursue his lifelong dream to fly. He is currently a U.S. Navy contractor and reserve officer engaged in naval aviation training. Through independent research, John set out to understand what is money. That drew him to intellects like Murray Rothbard, Edwin Vieira, Garrett Garrett, Benoit Mendelbrot, and Nassim Tlaib. Recognizing the central bank as the heart of monetary structure, he focused his attention to the mechanics of the Federal Reserve. He studied many Fed documents, and two that were especially important to him were modern money mechanics and the Federal Reserve system, purpose, and functions. In 2009, John Merrick created his blog, The Economic Crisis Watch, which helps individuals understand what the Fed is really doing as opposed to their public statements. And you can go to that site. Uh, the blog site is, well, it's economiccrisis.blogspot.com. And there you can follow some wonderful information, uh, lots of information, a lot of, uh, it's a teaching guide really to help people understand what money is. And it is a most important issue that most people are totally ignoring. So, John, I'm really glad to have you with us again. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me again, Jay. Really good to have you. Let's talk again about what money is. Thousands of years ago, markets chose gold and silver as money. Aristotle figured out why gold was endowed by nature to become money, and he observed the following. He said that gold is durable. That's why we don't use wheat. Gold is divisible. That's why we don't use diamonds. Gold is convenient. That's why we don't use lead. Gold is consistent. That's why we don't use real estate. And gold has intrinsic value. That's why we don't, or shouldn't at least, use paper. Well, because of those characteristics, and I would add also relative rarity of gold and its portability, markets have in fact chosen gold as the number one medium of exchange and frankly a, a means of barter. Silver has been perhaps the second best monetary metal, but those, um, those are really monetary assets that markets have chosen. They've not been mandated by government. 
Gold and silver are asset monies, and I say they are asset monies because they have intrinsic value, as we just said. It is not gained by virtue of people paying their debts. On the other hand, we have what is referred to as fiat money, and that's money that gains its value and has value only to the extent that other people are able to pay their debts. When they're not able to pay their debts, and we've seen this increasingly come true, then fiat money becomes suspect and people start to lose confidence in it and they go towards gold. Well, here's the question, John. You became fascinated, fascinated with the topic of money and what it is. Most people don't even question it, but in fact, fiat money especially is mysterious because it is created out of thin air, unlike gold and silver, which is created by highly advanced engineering, sweat and tears, and lots of capital and lots of hard work. People understand it because it is tangible and they can see it and understand it and know where it comes from. But money as it is defined today, fiat money, which is mandated by law, is cyber money to a great extent. It is mysterious beyond belief because it is created out of nothing. You mentioned a number of intellectuals that were influential in shaping your interest in money, and I'd like to take a few minutes to review who these people are uh, or were in some cases and how they contributed to our understanding of money and why they really uh, really caused you to dig into this topic. And you, those people, uh, for uh, we mentioned it, I guess, in the introduction, Murray Rothbard, Edwin Vieira, Garrett Garrett, Benoit Mendelbrot, and Nassim Talib. Would you care to comment just briefly on those gentlemen, uh, starting with Murray Rothbard? Well, Murray Rothbard's um, book, The Mystery of Banking, is essentially probably, probably out of all the authors and intellects that you listed before, probably had the biggest influence on my understanding of, of modern banking and and the um, current debt-backed money system we have today. He, he, he actually has some very simple accounting ledgers that he uses to explain fractional reserve banking within, which is the heart of how our money is created from debt, and was probably the most influential at, at helping me to understand. Um, Edwin Vieira, uh, with his book Pieces of Eight, which I'm still working my way through and one day I hope to get through entirely, is a great historical account of of money and helps to more understand uh, what it was in our in our history in the United States, uh, how it was actually the silver dollar, and it goes into much detail on that and gives a really good historical account. Uh, the other uh, authors, uh, intellects that you mentioned were um, was uh, Garrett. Garrett was good at identifying the. Uh, causes of the Great Depression, and the number one cause of the Great Depression was the expansion of credit, and mm -hmm. simply that's what caused it was the uh, the the bubble of credit, and it popped, and and that's the, that led to it. But it gets much more detailed, and it, it what's what's fascinating about it is it is not written by people of today, but Garrett Garrett who lived through that time, and the book was actually, I believe it was written in 1933, mm -hmm. so we, they weren't even calling it the Great Depression at the time, as he explained why the bubble, it was, the name of the book is uh, the, the Bubble That Broke the World, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and that is a very good historical account, and some people um, um, attribute Garrett, Garrett to actually, um, to Atlas Shrug, or uh, actually to the uh, maybe the uh, inspiring Ayn Rand to write that book because he he wrote another book 
which was called the driver, which is very similar to to the Ayn Rand book. I've not read Ayn Rand, but I have read read the the driver, and oh. they, they refer to some of the the it's the same premise, but on a it's not nearly as long. So if you if you want to read a simpler version, that that's a book that he had written. Interesting. Uh, let me just ask you: Did Garrett Garrett know Ayn Rand personally? Do you know? Um, I do not believe he did, but I, I'm not entirely sure. And of course, Alan Greenspan was a contemporary and a friend of Ayn Rand. It would be interesting to know. I'm sure Alan Greenspan would know of Garrett Garrett's work, perhaps. And, and then the uh, last uh, authors I'll put together: Nassim mm-hmm. Talib and, and uh, Banut Mandelbrot. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially work together um uh, mandelbrot is a is a mathematician and very much looks on the scientific side of markets and basically uh looks at the at the risk of how markets uh really are and what a lot of the risk managers today the way that they 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 apply the normal distribution to how they manage risk which uh, he refers to if we use normal distribution, you can use that for things such as uh, people's heights because you never get a 44-foot person or a one-inch person. But in markets, that doesn't work as easily. So the risk managers are very flawed when they use those types of models uh, or statistical models uh, when they're risk uh, when they're managing risk. And he refers to what's called uh, fat tails. You have a thinner center and then it just gradually comes down you actually have many more outliers yeah. because if you're not using that uh the right distribution the the possibility of an eight percent drop in the market in a week is maybe one in a hundred thousand but in reality it happens repeatedly over and over again and yeah. so uh both both authors um are are very much um have influenced the way I view the markets and how how I put my money at risk. Mhm. Well, there are all all of those gentlemen are are certainly worth reading. Um I'm familiar with most of them with the exception of uh Mr. Mendelbrot. But in any event, uh for the benefit of those who may not have heard you last week and your brief appearance on our show, uh, explain to our listeners what money is. That is, when I say money, I'm talking about fiat money or money that is mandated by law, the U.S. dollar, if you will, or, or basically all currencies these days. Talk to us about fiat money. What is it? Well, uh, the money system today, the fiat money of the United States, is a debt-backed money system. And essentially, for every dollar of money, there's a dollar of debt that backs the money. Mm -hmm. And therefore you can apply, if there is no debt, there is no money. And, and so to most people, when they hear this, it very much boggles their mind. It it did mine at first too, because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any rational sense. I think most people, if you were to take a poll on the street, actually still believe that our money system is backed by some form of gold. Mm -hmm. But in reality, that was slowly deteriorated over time as the Federal Reserve expanded its growth in, th- in creating all the money. So the way money is created, if money is created by debt, you can view banks essentially as money factories. By banks um, producing more loans, they're actually producing more money. And the the type, the, the fractional reserve banking is 
is a term used by how those banks create money. So for an example, if there were two entities in the world, there's yourself and there's a bank. If you have $1,000 to deposit in the bank, you, when you deposit it in that bank, they will hold $100 on reserve to your deposit and then they loan, they can loan you $900 back. And so in this example, let's say they loan you that $900 back, you still have your $1,000, so what you think, your $1,000 is still in the bank, you get that $900 loan, and let's say you just take that $900 and you redeposit it back into that same bank. Well, now you see yourself with $1,900. And so this happens repeatedly, and it's obviously not as simple in our system, but it happens with many people and many banks, and that just creates the, all the money that comes into existence. And in this example, essentially, theoretically, what $100 was the reserve ratio is what's called a 10% reserve requirement. So theoretically, they can create $9,000 to to go to to be created mm -hmm. out of 1,000. Yes. So it just multiplies, mysteriously multiplies into 9,000. Of course. That was in the old days. The Federal Reserve uh, is requiring less of its member banks these days, in terms of the reserve requirements. I believe isn't that true? Um, essentially, in the early '90s, they established the 10% on demand deposits, and there's actually no reserve requirement on t on on time deposits and and uh, savings. So theoretically, they could produce infinity money out of those, but we'll stick to just the uh, M1 money, the the demand deposits, and even at a 10%, uh, much of the money can be created theoretically. And that, mm -hmm. that's the key. When I when I say $1,000 can turn into 9000 additional money, that that's all theoretical. Sure. That doesn't have to happen. And I don't sure. think many inflationists understand that as well, that it, it's not instantaneous. It has to work through the system. Sure, sure. And, of course, if the reserve requirements are less, then that number in theory could be greater. Uh, here's and, the question. Uh, one more point on on how it was actually decreased from the set of 10% reserve requirements. Something happened called sweep accounts that actually allowed them to loan out more money on demand deposits. By in the mid 90s, they started allowing banks, and then it grew further from from that point forward. Was what a sweep account does is the banks have a computer that looks through everyone's uh, deposit history on their demand side and how your transactions are. So, so if you have a thousand dollars in your demand deposit account mm -hmm. and you only really transact a hundred dollars, they will actually sweep nine hundred of your thousand dollars off the bank's books overnight, and they actually could theoretically lend that out. And that overnight, overnight money. Yes, and that was uh, another form of 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 uh, expanding money further away from getting away from the reserve requirements. And these are sort of bank to bank loans, I believe, in some cases. Yes. Or would they be commercial lending to yeah to, to short term anyway, short term bank to bank for the most part. Yeah. Just so if you had money market. So if you had one bank that was short in reserve requirements or whatever, they could borrow that and use that. Yes. Uh huh. Okay, one of the questions that just came to my mind as you were saying 
in order to, you know, if you don't have loans, you don't have a money supply, you don't have any money. What happens then when we run into difficult times like we have post-Lehman Brothers and people start to become insolvent and unable to pay their loans and they have to start uh, or, or, they, or their loans get called in and they have to sell assets in order to repay the, the margin clerk, to repay the bank, then does the system not contract and you can see the money supply shrink, actually? Well, absolutely. Fundam uh, the fundamental parts of the uh, money system have to contract, as, and that's the uh, debt spiral that occurs, a death spiral, basically where the economy is basically imploding on itself. And that's what Bernanke feared in 2008 and, and um, the rest of the government is because that could just be a self-perpetuating um, of just further bankruptcies as less money is – as more and more money is destroyed, less and less people are able to make those debt payments. Mm -hmm. So like dominoes lined up, they can just fall over and, and sort of have a chain reaction effect. Yes, and and that's just how the system is set up and how it works. So I think uh, Bernanke does have a good understand, or I mean, a very good understanding of the money system, and did realize that back in in mm -hmm. 2008. Mm -hmm. Now I don't agree with all his policies, and and we'll we'll talk about that for uh, in the future. Sure. But but that was the uh, the big threat that that had occurred from the example you you portrayed. Okay, so what we're hearing now constantly is that the banks, like in the 1930s, the banks are not making loans. Why are they not making loans? That's a good question. Um, it can come from maybe the actual consumers don't want them, or it could possibly be the Federal Reserve induces it. And that's a mystery I'm trying to figure out. It, it's I don't think it's an easy question to answer, but uh, I I do believe in how it's it's a behavioral environment where once people have fear uh, set through the system, they'll if if the banks don't want to lend and people don't want to borrow mm -hmm. because it's that herd instinct of humans that will kind of self-perpetuate that forward. But mm -hmm. then as I studied the Federal Reserve balance sheet, I started coming across something that was just kind of a little baffling, and I was just kind of uh, just looking at just fundamental mechanics in the accounting, and, I, and, and, it, and what I'd and I don't know if this is more of a sinister plot, but I don't want to declare it. But I have a lot of questions I'd like to talk to central bankers about and, and get a better understanding. But something happened in 2008 uh, when uh, they actually started paying interest on reserve on the excess reserves at the Federal Reserve. Thank you. I'm glad you said that because uh, we had Professor Auerbach on this show um, of um – Texas uh, University of Texas, I believe, at uh, at Austin. Uh, what would that be? Help me out here with the uh, the name. Uh, of your... University of Texas. Yeah, and Professor Auerbach, who was uh, uh, who had worked with Henry Gonzalez, uh, Congressman Henry Gonzalez, in the past, and he exactly talked about that on CNBC. He talked about it on this show as well, where he said one of the reasons he believes that the banks aren't lending money is because they are being paid for holding it in their uh, in their uh, in their vaults. And and that's where I kind of going through the balance sheet. I started to believe what 
the professor said because if you just apply the interest rate, if the excess reserves are paying 0.25% is what they're set at, what they've been set at since 2008, and the targeted federal funds rate, which the listeners may not be familiar with, is interbank lending rate, what banks lend to each other at. If the Federal Reserve is targeting somewhere between zero and 0.25%, it's lower than what they're paying at the Federal Reserve. So what is the incentive for banks to lend to each other mm-hmm. if they can just park it at the Federal Reserve deposit in their, as their excess reserves and and know that they make 0.25% and they don't – I mean, it just makes monetarily more sense. And so when I kind of came across that, I started changing my view as to as to maybe maybe it is induced. I, I it appears just mechanically, but maybe there's something I'm missing in in the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Well, here's another thought for you, and this just came to me from the Financial Times uh, yesterday, an article uh, by Bill Gross. Gross suggested that uh, by targeting zero interest rates and then pushing those interest zero interest rates out further into the yield curve that essentially you're flattening the yield curve and gross's point is that that bernanke may be inadvertently destroying the lending system because banks have have forever and a day been borrowing short term at low rates and lending longer term at higher rates and and capturing that spread so Bankers need a positive yield curve. And Gross's point is that, that they may be discouraging lending from taking place. Does that make sense to you? Yes. So there may be something else going on here, maybe an unintended consequence of, uh, of, of zero, um, zero cost money. Yes, and I don't believe there's any malicious intent. I really believe that the Federal Reserve thinks they're doing the right thing uh-huh. by their actions. I, sure. I, I think, and that's the same uh, way that it's just an unintended con- consequence that's mm-hmm. occurring. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go to let's let's take a look at the balance sheet, a simplistic view of the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. Uh, what are its assets? Well, the assets for a for the Federal Reserve, the majority of them are the United States Treasury securities, which we've heard, if anyone has heard of the QE2, which I'm sure everyone has, mm-hmm. that's the asset to the Federal Reserve. Then as the second largest is still mortgage-backed securities, yep. which they had purchased during the uh, QE1, which uh, they began to start – they bought, started uh, purchasing from primary dealers in – in March of 2009, mm-hmm. and and then uh, finished up their last purchases, I believe, towards the tail end, beginning of 20, or actually the beginning of 2010. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, other security that they hold as an asset is uh, federal agency debt, mm-hmm. which is uh, the debt of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac mm-hmm. the, of that of those agencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, other, oh, I'm sorry. Go no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, and then the uh, pr- another one is uh, their loans that they make, emergency loans, as mm-hmm. far as or maybe just overnight loans, which is um, a- another sizable amount. Not as much today as it was during the crisis, but is is an asset. Um, other 
vehicles have been the LLCs that they created, which were the maiden lanes, which were the uh, questionable assets that were purchased from the Bear Stearns collapse in AIG, oh. and and they still have them on their books. I would question if they're valued at what they have on their books, but they're they're still there. Mm-hmm. The Fed, uh, I believe, also made some loans to foreign banks. Um, that came out. Um, there was a lawsuit to ask uh, to, to try to find out what the Fed did with all its money during, um, I guess it was QE1 or during that time frame immediately after Lehman Brothers. And it came out that there have been, well, according to Jeff Deist of Ron Paul's office, something as much as $5 trillion that were lent, I thought, by the Federal Reserve to to Europe, uh, to European banks. Do you know anything about that? Yes, there was uh, the central bank liquidity swaps is what I think he's referring mm-hmm. to. And those... Those were uh, right now. They're not a sizable amount. It was, it was dollars given to central banks with them to be repaid at some time in the future. And so those have all been paid back now. If okay. you actually look at their balance sheet, it, it's only a, a immaterial number now. Okay. But uh, it, it, another one I, I've kind of heard on the uh, a lot of people hit is is that they loaned like I've heard the number 15 trillion to banks and then they've listed the banks I think that's a very misleading number that people mm-hmm. kind of bat around mm-hmm. uh, when they say 15 trillion dollars was loaned to you know Goldman Sachs and all the other banks um cumulatively it's that 15 trillion is it's just an it just adds up all of them um, one after the other total some of those loans were only you know could have been 28 day loans right and they were rolled right. over so it kind of it's misleading when they sure. 15 trillion reality you know I don't I don't at, think any, at any given time it was a lot less than that yes I mean we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars it never was at one time 15 yeah. trillion and then sure. at this time all those loans have been paid back so Okay, so that's not, that's not an issue except that we know that the Fed will work with other banks and potentially put American uh, taxpayers at risk, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, if, if, I mean, for example, Europe is having enormous problems now. And, you know, with, with bigger and bigger countries potentially needing bailouts from who? If the Germans are the only ones left standing and the Germans don't want to do it, and American banks then also have some interest in in, in not seeing uh, European banks go down. There may also be future demands for the Fed to come to the rescue of European institutions, do you think? Yes, they definitely will help out um, the the through the through the associated central bank of foreign central banks. And a lot of that information is actually public mm-hmm. at what they did in the past. Mm-hmm. And you can actually see how much the Bank of Japan or the European uh, bank, uh, how much those got. They And in Britain, it, it's it's actually all out there. So it's not there. They've tried to be more transparent. And there's no doubt a lot of the money that they had at risk is now off the table, but there's no doubt in their assets there is still major risk on on the balance sheet, mainly on the maiden lanes, uh, the mortgage. I would say the mortgage-backed securities, the the securities they actually hold, I think have substantial risk to them. So there's still many things that have risk, but but then others that have been curtailed over time. And there's something. Um, 
on actually their asset that's over a hundred billion dollars it's other assets mm. and I find it quite fascinating that only the Federal Reserve could get away with putting a category called other for assets and have it so large uh, I don't I don't think many corporations could get away with a hundred billion account without breaking down the detail so the Fed doesn't say what that hundred billion is uh, made of uh, it does not break down specifically where where that money has gone it will kind of give you generic um, what what other assets are, but but does not break down what what those are exactly. So the Fed, can, the Fed can go out and buy almost anything at once, I guess. Absolutely, I, I think I don't think it's what's outside of their charter to actually purchase stocks if they had to. I think yeah. if you if you read some of the language, it's vague enough to where they could if they want. I mean, who would have thought back in 2007 they would start buying mortgage-backed securities but right. they did and they're right. sitting there and they're almost 900 billion dollars today and it, it it's quite amazing so uh, maybe in the future they would buy purchase more uh, different uh, types of assets maybe municipal yeah. um, that, that would probably be pretty realistic I think buying stocks outright would be very controversial to the point where I, I maybe People would finally lose it after that. I don't know, but well, there was one Reserve uh, Reserve uh, Federal Reserve official a number of years ago who suggested that's exactly what the Fed should do when there's meltdowns in the markets. So it wouldn't surprise me if they're doing it, and and if they're not saying uh, what they're doing with that uh, hundred billion dollars, who knows what they may be doing? I mean, there was some talk in theory about buying real estate, about buying uh, gold mines was mentioned. So. I mean, I guess they're opening the door to anything. I'm realizing that uh, we've got we're almost uh, out of time here for the first half hour of today's show. There's so much more to talk about. We talked about assets. Can you tell us quickly what, in sort of general terms, what are the liabilities on the Fed's balance sheet? The main liability historically has always been our Federal Reserve notes, which mm -hmm. is the green paper in your wallets. The currency that we use that that's a has traditionally been a large liability, but recently, and many listeners have heard, is the deposits the the, the bank deposits at the Federal Reserve is the other major category uh, as a liability, and then the mm -hmm. capital structure is is almost I would call immaterial. So, uh, would the bank deposits not be a lot bigger than the currency that we carry around? It is. It's um, it's. It's about one about one point six trillion is deposits held huh? from banks at the Federal Reserve, and then currency is approaching one trillion. Oh, is it that high? Huh? It's it's oh. almost at a trillion. Wow. So I guess a lot of people have money in their wallets or under their mattresses or someplace. The Federal Reserve and, Bernanke says that it about fifty percent of that is actually uh, held overseas, and it it has been a steady incline. I've I've looked at currency during the two thousand eight crisis, and and 2009 and there was a little bit of a movement but but it's pretty much linear in its growth there was not a massive amount of currency that was pulled out during hmm. those panics okay that's interesting and what you're saying then with respect to the equity is it's a very small number it's almost negligible well I, I would I would say relative to the rest the liabilities are about 2.8 trillion and their capital structure is about 52 billion. Okay, so very small, very tiny compared to uh, less than less less than that mysterious hundred billion dollars on the asset side to offset it. Uh, only about half of that amount. 
Well, this is really fascinating stuff. We do have to take a break, a commercial break, and then I hope we can come back to explore some more contemporary issues. What are some of the things that you see going on uh, from your study of the Fed's balance sheet, the things the Fed is saying? How does that differ from what you're actually seeing? What is the Fed doing as opposed to what it's saying? To me, that's very, very important, and if investors can get a sense of that, I think that's they might have the inside track a lot of times over people who are willing to just sort of take Mr. Bernanke at, at face value. Well, um, so I hope you can come back with us uh, after the break. Oh, I look forward to Okay, great, John. Well, we're going to be right back. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back with John Merrick uh, after this word from our sponsors. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He's available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters romeo's gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of british columbia's golden triangle a copper gold rich region with improving infrastructure Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 